thank you. Great year, right? Yeah. But, you know, you chose 1984. I know we were closing. We were rushed at the end of the last yeah, month. We were. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. We forgot to do our list, you see, because we were just getting so into the uh, era that we forgot. To yes, exactly, exactly. So we, yeah, mustn't, the... we mustn't do that this time. <laughs> correct, correct, absolutely. We can leave, like, 20 minutes for the list, I think. Yeah, uh, yeah, I think so, I think so. But, yeah, 1984, um, um, yeah, it could have been any year. Only When you look back at any, you choose any year, you can find some incredible stuff and you can think back, and it makes you think back to what you were doing, actually. It's the big, it's, yes. mu- music, of course, is the biggest trigger for remembering what you were doing anyway, because it's like the soundtrack to your life, isn't it? So, um, but 1984... I'm keen to understand what was going on in your world. Um, for me, it was my, I was, it was my, I was just going, leaving home and going to university. So I was going to leave uh, at 17 and, um, okay. and starting out my, uh, my degree course. So there was quite, so I was finishing my A-levels over the summer. I was doing my summer job, which was um, selling deck chairs on the promenade in Blackpool. And then um, it was off to, uh, to to uni, and so there was lots going on. And uh, you know, it was a good and interesting and very different year for me. So I chose that because you know it's quite a pivot. And of course, 1984, of course, because the book is iconic anyway. So it's always interesting to reflect on pe- what people were doing in that year. Yeah, absolutely. And, and so this, you know, year and the research that we went in to pick up what was going on, I didn't mm. realize how important it was musically because I was so heads down in the music that you know I wasn't aware until doing the research looking back at all the sort of you know so I went to go look at the enemy at Rolling Stone and a bunch of different sort of mix mag right mix mag I think was a Brit great great DJ magazine right Um, and just showcasing how many different sort of influences came out of that year. And, you know, from Detroit and Chicago, we were talking about house last time. This, that was the very beginning of house. And, you know, we didn't hear any of that. Right. So I was, I was, I had been in New York for three years and I was fully infused into downtown culture. And so I went to clubs starting at probably around 1030 to 11 and would stay up, you know, fueled on various chemical sources until noon the next day. And I had figured out that I really liked dancing. And this was kind of a surprising you know, thing to me because I, you know, I grew up as a rocker. And right. so by 1982, I'd started going to dance clubs and yeah. 1984. And it's funny because, you know, we have to cover the things that we missed. Right. Or at least that I didn't focus on. Right. So the mm. whole sort of hardcore scene was developing and the sort of the, the West. Right. So you talk a lot about, you know, the Phoenix sound, LA, San Francisco, right? We're exploding mm-hmm. with Black Flag and Fear and all sort of the hardcore stuff. But mm-hmm. it was very much a sort of, you know, high energy slash hip hop slash, you know, dance music culture 
that I was seeing a lot of at the time. And the one thing that I want to make sure I, I cover is that this was one of the few times I think that in my life where U.S. sounds got you know, taken to England and repurposed and brought back to us, right? That's been happening for a long time. Hmm. But, you know, the, the, and your experience specifically, Tim, around the Hacienda, right? And so a big show was, you know, this whole New Order confusion kind of where they got Arthur Baker yeah. uh, to do the production of that song. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. then, the narrative having around had, taking that back three, to the hacienda, yeah, right, had right, three IOUs, yeah, 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 exactly. Yes, exactly, exactly. <laughs> oh my God, I that that I don't know if that song was that year, but that's a great reference. Yeah, but that yeah. was but that was that was really what they heard, and they said we need this guy. You know, we need this guy. Yeah, uh, yep. He built the uh, IOU uh, sound for Freeze, which was amazing, really. Um, but yep. you know, it's quite funny. It, it's that. The Hacienda that didn't really kick into gear until after that. Um, it, you know, it was still very much the space of the uh, overcoat wearing, orange juice echo and the Bunnymen fans and the, you know, the Smiths of course, and pretty moody and 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 really the uh, the ecstasy scene and the music that went with it hadn't really landed properly. There were one or two DJs in there beginning to experiment on a Thursday night or a Friday night or something, but. It really hadn't landed, and, and they were still struggling to get people through the door. And um, so that was, that was, you know, it was really on the cusp. It was a pivotal time for the Hacienda. There was no way at all that it was a successful business in 1984. No way. It was, it was right, struggling right. to make ends meet. And then all, all of a sudden, you know, 85, 86, and certainly into 87, you know, with Happy Mondays and, you know, things happening around yep. that. So it, it sort of clicked and the drugs appeared and, they, you know, and it, it just went went crazy. In fact, I just I just read uh, Paul Morley's biography of Tony Wilson to guide you again through all that. I mean, how many times I've got to read this story in my life? I have no idea, but um, <laughs> so, um, it fascinates me. And, um, and there were details in there that I didn't know. And it was really, really interesting, actually. But, yeah, you, you forget that it was a really struggling it was a big yeah. white elephant project um and then all of a sudden bang you know it, it all happened you know but not really in 84 yes yes but but the genesis of it i think was happening in 84 and oh, yeah. you know it's funny that you mentioned the um you know echo and the bunnyman the smiths the cure for me 84 was a big transition away from seeking out the sort of whatever, you know, you, whatever genre, new wave that you might want to call it. So the songs that came out, the albums that came out from Echo and the Bunnyman, The Cure, Psychedelic Furs, The Smiths. I mean, Half Full of Hollow was a great album, but the other three were just not good albums, right? I mean, The Psychedelic Furs mm -hmm. went way downhill from that. Echo and the Bunnyman went way downhill. I mean, it's tough to recreate Crocodiles. Those were albums that I loved, right, in 81, 82, 83 but then it seemed like that sort of new wave sound was just just wasn't as resonant right um that was something that you know and it in that you know vacuum flooded in hip-hop and dance and it was incredible for me because some of the best dance clubs actually mixed those new wave 
you know, songs and the 70s songs and the Philly sound that I grew up with the dance. So you would go to like Danceteria or the Pyramid or Peppermint Lounge, and it would be a rock based kind of dance mix. But then if you went to like Funhouse or the Garage, then it was just pure high energy and, you know, deep dance. And, you know, the, they, they were doing all the, you know, more street based sounds. Whereas you would still so, hear you know, a lot of you couldn't new wave in this. culture in the UK. You couldn't at that time. You couldn't replicate that mainly because of the licensing law. So, so you say you went out about half past ten and came back, you know, in the early hours of the morning. Yeah. Well, no, no, the, you know, the new on yep. noon next day. That happens now, but at that time in in Britain, no way. So, people, you would you would go out to the pub in early evening, yeah. eight nine o'clock, yeah. a couple of hours. And then you would go to a club about 11 o'clock and it would close at two. And that was it. And that, and that was your night, you know. So people, people right. hadn't sort of flipped their body clocks anyway. You know, it, that was the, and that was it. That's what you did. The clubs lasted that long and, and the licensing um, kicked you out at two, really. So you didn't, so, so that in itself didn't afford the, uh, that more immersive all night long thing. And that's really what came in a couple of years later. So you talked about that Hacienda, but actually... It was rave culture. It was the illegal raves, yes, you know, exactly. in various places around and about that really broke the culture. Because even, you know, at that time, places like the Hacienda and some of the other club, the clubs that had seen the light from a music standpoint couldn't do anything about the licensing laws. They closed it too, and that was that, you know. And um, yep, whereas, yep. you know, the raves went on, and if they caught them, or people went dancing in a field, or they started to, you know, a few years later. So um, it was an interesting pivotal time but your point's a great one about the the, the diversity of the music and the influences back and forth and and i thought it was quite instructive not just looking at for example the enemy single shot but also the tracks of the year and the album their, their album of the year was bobby womack the poet too i mean you know that's 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 quite something womack and womack were there at number four you know with love wars and 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 stuff like that now prince was in their purple rain but yeah there was rem at the Re uh, reckoning but you know brilliant and that but there was a real sort of interesting mix of bits and pieces uh, scattered amongst. But the other thing that was influencing that doesn't ever get really much uh, discussion was beginning. It was like this sort of cowpunk kind of new country esque stuff, like Green on Red and Long Riders. Right. And, okay. Uh, you know, band, band, I know band, Green on Red. I haven't like, heard of Long Riders. Long riders, yeah. Um, and there were a few, and they were, you know, Peel was playing that sort of stuff around that sort of time. Um, so there was, there was all that. I mean, there was a lot of brilliant stuff, very diverse mix of stuff around. They, I mean, it was just so much fantastic. So you only have to, you know, um, you know, Laurie Anderson, Three Johns, Holder Tsukai was in the Cocteau Twins, Aztec Camera, David yes. Sylvia, you know. All sorts of really, really interesting stuff, even at the top end of the charts, never mind the more obscure stuff. So it was it was a good and interesting year for the mix, really. And and I thought and, and it was interesting you sort of focusing on the music side of things. I was looking through like we did last time about what were the other things happening in the world that year. And I looked at this list of things that had happened and it made me it made me laugh in a in a semi uh, funny way, because it's not really funny, but First one, uh, Indira Gandhi was assassinated. Second one, they launched the Apple Mac in the Super Bowl uh, at advert with the oh, like, wow. yes. yeah, that yeah, was yeah. a great ad. Well, listen, yeah. listen what they listen what they put number three, right? No, I tell you what, 
they've put number nine. I'll miss some of these out. Number nine in this list was widespread famine in Ethiopia after political conflict. But number three was top pop musicians gathering a Notting Hill studio to form Band-Aid and record Do They Know It's Christmas. So they put as number three, the charity record, it was put in place to sort of support people in Ethiopia because of this horrific famine. But the famine yes. itself gets number nine in this, this list and you kind of think, what kind of world was it? You know, but, but, but that, was a, that was a big deal that year. So there was all sorts, there was all sorts uh, going on. So, so just, you know, I have to pay homage to AIDS as it was really just breaking out in New York. And so it was a really interesting for me coming to this conversation because I lost a lot of friends during that time. Mm. And it was, you know, nobody knew. And yeah. it was like, I mean, you know, the only thing I can compare it to nowadays is COVID, the very beginning of COVID. I mean, because AIDS was that's the fear. first fear, pandemic and yeah. we didn't know how it was spread. And for a little while there, like what you would smell most often in a disco was anti-mosquito spray because we didn't know mm -hmm. if mosquitoes were transferring it. And AIDS really, I mean, it had started HTLV-3. And but it was really starting to come into the community and especially within the gay dance clubs like the Garage and Funhouse and others. Right. And that made um, the whole scene a little bit more, I mean, obviously very um, sad and we didn't know what was going on, but also like, you know, dancing at the edge of the pandemic. Right. And going out was a really big release. And at the yeah, same yeah, yeah. time that this is happening, we're re-electing Ronald Reagan. Yeah. And his, his just viral, you know, I, I don't even know how to say it, but tracing Donald Trump to Ronald Reagan is very easy for me. Right. So yeah, this yeah, yeah. became so so that but but AIDS really was a major change. And I lived downtown in the West Village at the time and just nobody knew what was going on. I lived right across the street from St. Vincent Hospital. And that was the ground zero for this. And anyway, it's just it's it, that really made me think of all of the people that I had lost during that time. But also that gave a certain energy to the dance floor, especially at the garage and at Funhouse that I think would have been there regardless. And I'm not trying to, to, to make it as an inspiration, but there certainly was a lot of gay disco happening there. And one of the best shows that I went to was New Order at the Paradise Garage in 1983. And that's when they did their whole Arthur Baker confusion. And now yep. that happened in the summer of 1983, but that was the first time I'd been to the garage. And the garage yep. was where, you know, you had Larry LeVon and all these DJs. So there was DJ culture, right? Mm -hmm. uh, you had, you know, uh, Jelly Bean Benitez. I was, you know, Freddie Bastone and Mark Kamins. Mark Kamins went on and did mm -hmm. a bunch of different, produced a bunch of different stuff. They were the he DJs at Dancing He did some stuff on Factory as well. He, he produced Quando right. on Factory. Yeah, yeah. 
Yes, 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 exactly. Exactly. Right. So yeah. these guys, so that so very much DJ culture, lots and lots of DJ culture. And to your point earlier around the timing, I swear, like, just like anything, it took them two to three hours to find their groove for the night. And, but it was from our, say, 90 minutes to our seven was where they were just, it was, you know, I mean, it was just on. Right. So you couldn't, you needed that length. I mean, they would play for 10 hours. Some of them would play for 12. And so mm. you'd get this. Where did they get the know, energy? Peak. Yeah, well, did they exactly. get the energy? I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, you know, so this was, this was a lot, there was a lot of cocaine floating around New York at the time. Right. But, yeah. but also the other thing that you mentioned, which is that there was after hours. So the clubs closed at four. And then if you were at Funhouse, you would start drinking juice, which was actually kind of fun. But if you were still interested in more, you would go to the illegal clubs over in the Lower East Side. And then and that's where, you know, and they, they would have blackout curtains and everything. I mean, you know, you wouldn't know what what time it was and you'd stumble out and, and get home. But that that meant that the party would keep on going. But when we look at the music, that DJ culture, so Africa Bombada and DJ Red Alert were these two DJs that brought a lot of the Bronx sound, the hip hop sound downtown. And that happened at a club called The Roxy a little before this. And then it just exploded in 1984. And you had so many DJs that really, you know, and it became music for me that year became very tactile and very sort of kinetic. And what I mean by that is that one, I'm playing music entirely on vinyl. So you're touching it. You know, I'm trying to learn how to scratch. <laughs> you know, I mean, and we had, we had some shitty turntables because you don't want to scratch on your nice turntable. And, you know, I never thought of touching vinyl that way. I always was like, you know how you I held know, vinyl, new, isn't it? it doesn't, yeah, I can't stand it these days. One, one, the kids call it. I bought a vinyl. You mean you bought a record? And, right, uh, and then right. they pick it up like that and say, "Look at this! Look at this new colored, this new vinyl." And they got all. Yeah, oh like yeah, that. yeah. And the, oh my god! And, and they're holding it with. Are you mad? <laughs> so I've got really small hands. I'm just going to say this right now, and so I could barely do from the center hole to the edge. You know the the classic hole. So, you know, but anyway, so all of a sudden, like you're touching the record, which was a really strange thing to me. And then also how kinetic it was, because the record immediately was because it was pure dance music. It was like you put on the record and you just start moving both at your home, you know, at your friend's apartment. You know, it was very sort of a kinetic experience. And the other thing is that as I looked at some of the songs and as I listened to a lot of them, I always liked, at least in rock, the sort of percussive element of rock. And that absolutely comes through both in the vocal vocals and in the beats of early hip hop, right? It, you can hear this too. There's just a lot of rock within those. And, you know, Rick Rubin was great. I mean, what he did with the Beastie Boys, but also with Run DMC and with others, made it much more accessible as a transition to yeah. from a rocker you know yeah yeah so. did actually it was quite exciting that 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 you know the samples the acdc and the 
you know, some oh. of the samples that you, that you're thinking, this is cool, this really works. And, and, and it was totally on message in terms of this is what the face was talking about. It was what Blitz magazine was talking about around that time. And enemies, um, you know, it, it was that. And so because life was very tribal music wise still at that age, in that era, yeah. very, very tribal. And so it felt kind of weird. To, I mean, we discussed this last time about, you know, that, you know, a friend of mine couldn't, didn't like the fact that I got Squitty Politi album when the last one I bought was Piss or something, you know. And, 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 but I, and so this felt almost like, oh, wow, dare we mix this stuff together and acknowledge that we like dance music and the disco and the punk and the rock and all in one sound, you know. And so that was pretty liberating and quite thrilling, actually, you know. And, and it's heavy. You know, listen to LL Cool J's first album. There's some really heavy beats on that. That, that I love my so, radio. Um, and rock the bells. Yeah, literally called rock the bells. And yeah. you're so right because this was and this was something that. So I would go. They had CBGBs had hardcore brunch, and you'd go and you'd see the Swans or you know the, there are many many other downtown bands, and that was amazing. You'd see the same people at the hardcore brunch yeah. as you'd see in the nightclub. I mean, so the punk and rap and dance, everybody was doing everything. Whereas yeah. before you were a rocker, right? I mean, it's the quadrophenia model lasted for a decade, right? You were yeah. a rocker or you were a punk. Yeah. And, yeah. Yeah. And, and this really was the blend. And when things, I mean, Run DMC really helped, you know, and that's, they're one of the bands for sure. I have to pay homage to as well, right? That I, I like their, I loved their music at the time. I still listen to a couple of the songs, but Run DMC just changed the equation for me to bring my friends downtown. They were like, what's this? So this was mm. when I started seeing my friends from college because I lived downtown and everybody else lived uptown. And all of a sudden they're like, hey, we got to go see this. And that came out. They, see, they released the records much earlier on the dance floors. So we would be listening to it two to three months before its official release. And mm. who knows? I mean, I have no idea if they'd play it and then they'd go back and remix it. I believe that that's what was happening. But so those songs, that whole album really was like, that went from... Uptown to downtown to uptown again, <laughs> you know. Yeah, I mean, it bounced it's around brilliant. New York. So exciting, and actually, Run DMC continued to be exciting for five years, really. Uh, from from yes. they faded a bit after that, but I remember um, they toured with Pot Will Eat Itself. You see, Pot Will Eat Itself were a you know a scrappy Midlands indie band, C eighty C eighty six kind of indie band. And then they started whizzing beats into some of their tunes and things like that. And they ended up touring with Rundi. I remember I was, this is later. This is That's amazing. Actually, but yeah, yeah, yeah. But I remember uh, I was on a management training course when I was working for that. I just started out. So this is later. This is about 88. And I was, I was staying at the Hilton in Leeds. And I went to the lift. I just checked in. And the doors opened. And it was Rundi MC and Pop Will Eat Itself in the lift. <laughs> <laughs> amazing and i was like amazing. oh my god <laughs> so, so i i don't i don't actually even know the band that you're talking about that toured with them i've never heard of them and that's that's oh, right. what i love about this you, they i don't know if they made it to the states oh, or not yeah um, so I, I in fact they as you'd expect they've just been um 
doing some uh, some uh, gigs again. But actually, you you will have come across them because Clint Mansell is a composer and he does uh, film soundtracks and he's done like Moon and all sorts of you know fairly art house and mainstream um, soundtracks. So he's he's like a, a semi classical stroke classical uh composer now he's done all sorts of uh of different things but anyway yeah at the time there was a, there was like um there was like a midlands sort of wonder stuff um and we're dipping out of our year really but you know there was like one wonder stuff and bentley rhythm ace and you know and and they were right they were just playing with what we've been talking about this well, actually, you right. can be a bit punky, you can be a bit indie, but you can also be a bit hip-hop. And, and it was really fun time. And then it sort of settled down a bit after that. And, but but I think that's right. I think we've identified around this period was that time when the tribalism began to fall apart. Yes. And ecstasy probably yes. had a good deal with it as well. <laughs> and, and, and But that, honestly, that's what continues today, although now with you know social and you know you're you're listening i'm listening to my spotify list you know someone else is listening to there but that integration continues to this day i mean you go and you see the lineup for a major festival and i mean you can't tell whether or not it's a rock festival a pop festival a rap festival or 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 you know a classical you know uh, (laughs) you know or or avant-garde festival it's amazing and i love that and yeah. so, but, but when we're looking at, you know, some of the ones that, that I couldn't, you know, focus on in terms of my list, the couple of them really surprised me. Like, so Bronski B, Frankie Goes to Hollywood, we're coming across from, from England. And yeah, yeah. that small town, small town boy was a huge hit, right? Two, two wars was the Frankie Goes to Hollywood hit, I think. And well, had those relax, relax, and then two tribes. Two tribes, two tribes, right? And I, but I thought Relax came out of, anyway. So, so no, no, two relax, tribes relax, was the song. Relax was first came out a couple of times, then two tribes. But anyway, yeah. Both okay, years. okay, yeah. So Frankie goes to Hollywood, and that those were two bands that were coming across. But then there was also this like prefab Sprout was oh, yeah, was man. a big band, <laughs> you know. And and so there was that sort of college radio sound. Yeah, but and that's where that's where a lot of the new wave kind of lived, and REM lived, and Depeche Mode, and those yeah. kinds of, of bands continued to live. College radio, which had led kind of my musical direction for a long time, did not. So besides WMYU, did not really catch on to hip hop, dance, or rap, and it makes sense. I mean, you know, you're you're playing to colleges out in the middle of nowhere. It's not like there's a club that you can go to, you know? And so college radio was, was never really that dance friendly. And Mm. in Atlanta, there is an amazing college radio station that is very dance friendly, but at the time it wasn't. So those bands all lived on, you know, lived on in, in college radio, but I really feel like, you know, the, the, releases that came out that year i mean if you think about it like madonna's first album came out that year yeah and that you know not not that she makes my list although she was a, a bartender so she and ll cool j worked at dance Satiria. and dance Satiria was five blocks up from my apartment so i'd go there almost every night it was open seven nights a week 
And it was just a fantastic place, four floors of fun. And so that experience there, just sort of being in, and that's what I tried to recreate wherever I would go to was try to add value to the scene, not just sort of be a participant in the scene. And so, you know, you're contributing either by dancing, bringing friends, you know, talking about and supporting new artists, whatever it might be, as opposed to a lot of the people who sort of just came and, you know, drank and maybe they danced or maybe they just sort of just lurked around. I mean, felt very much like, you know, you wanted to contribute to the scene. And that, you know, was definitely at Danceteria, so many famous people came out of, of Danceteria. So many of the people that worked there went on to have amazing careers. And it, you could just sense that their energy, their creativity, and you wanted to be a part of it, mm. you know, and you wanted to contribute to it and celebrate it. But yes, we have to go to our songs, I think. Okay, go on, you go. You go first, we go. Could, what did okay. we do last time? Did so, we do one, one each? Did we go one each or did we do, yeah, did you do yeah, your yeah, list? Yeah. And then, I can't remember. Yep, yeah. so... so, so one, one of the first ones that, that I have to do just is, it's Call Me Mr. Telephone. And it was a, a dance hit. It was produced by Mark Kamins. And okay. it, was, it was the closest to a high energy song that yeah. I loved. Okay. And it, I mean, you know, and high energy was, you know, it was Giorgio... Uh, Oh my God, I can't believe I'm forgetting his name. Giorgio Remoder? Maroda, Maroda. Yeah, Giorgio Maroda sounds and just, you know, sped up a little bit. And so Call Me Mr. Telephone was when I was listening back to it. So I played all these sets from, you know, DJ sets that are available up on SoundCloud and all of this stuff from the time. And I was like, oh my God, this song, because I haven't heard it in whatever this may be, almost 40 years. I haven't, yeah. I never actually downloaded the song and I, it runs for five minutes. And I think I probably burned 250 calories in that five minutes on this song, you know? <laughs> I mean, and, and, it, and, but it also is a great representation of at least Ben's perspective on high energy, which there were right. so many great songs coming out at that time. Yeah, so call me Mr. Telephone. I like it. Okay. Um, so just to you, just before my first one, just to your last point about college radio that, and that diversion. So there was really Peel and not much else, and it was all quite indie-oriented. He was starting playing bits of hip-hop, but not too much. But actually, the early electro sound was pioneering. You used to get it on these a really nicely curated series of albums. Uh, on uh, the Street Sounds label, and they'd be, you know, it'd be a typical LPs worth so about twelve tracks. They weren't mixed, um, but there were twelve, you know, tracks from the streets. And they and they started off the series was called Electro, and then after about half a dozen releases, they flipped the name to Hip Hop, and they ran for about twenty of these things, and they were amazing. I used to get them on cassette, and so I had one or two on vinyl, and and there was this. Uh, a businessman essentially called Morgan Carnation businessman in the UK who founded this incredible and it was pioneering it was and that's where we got a lot of the early early and then there were you know a bunch of copycat 
uh, labels popped up yeah. doing these sort of compilations, but they were the pioneering ones, Street Sound. It's quite iconic. Anyway, um, my first uh, one on the list from that year, Thieves Like Us, New Order. So they'd done um, Confusion and they'd gone through that. And this was, yeah. this was the next step. And it was almost like we'd had Blue Monday and we'd gotten Confusion and really, really understood where they were heading. And for me, this Thieves Like Us, whilst it retained some of those very danceable elements to it and a hugely long intro with no singing again, you know, and stuff like that, um, the space within the song and was just incredible. And the length of it, well, I think seven minutes or something, another long tune. And I remember yes. hearing it for the very first time. They, 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 it debuted on British Radio, on Radio 1, on Saturday afternoons. They used to have the show called Saturday Live. And this DJ, uh, something, played it. And I recorded it. And I recorded it on the B-side of a cassette. And I recorded it on the B-side of my um, Life's a Riot with Spy versus Spy Billy Bragg cassette. Because it was only a short <laughs> album. And I remember this. It was only a short album. And so we put the whole album on one side of the tape, right? And on the other side, it was blank. And on it, on it, it printed bootleg the bootleg the brag defeat the enemy because <laughs> <Right. laughs> so, yeah, people were getting told off for going into gigs with tape recorders and it was quite a big cassette bootleg scene at the time so he says no because if someone showed you you just say oh, no it's me billy bragg i'm not recording anything so he said bootleg the brag defeat the enemy which i thought was brilliant but i didn't bootleg the brag i recorded a new order on it but i thought that was great and i love where they were going there of course the twin record that came out with it at the time was murder which was really really back to being heavy yes. for them yeah. and that came yes. out in fact yes. Benelux in a similar sleeve but in blue and um, um so i thought that was another big step to them but i don't know how many other people genuinely thought that you know because then low life came along and that was brilliant but i thought these like us was was really good and from that year yeah i remember that a lot it was quite an important one and they released, I believe it was a 12 inch of a vocal version of it and just an instrumental version of it. And I, I at least in the US, and I had either yeah. the either, and I had both, and I loved both. And that song, you would hear that, you wouldn't hear the whole song, but you would definitely hear the beat. Did it? You know, yeah. and and, and yeah. that that that's a beautiful song, and I still and I I the love that song. Was lonesome tonight. The B side was lonesome yep. tonight, and yep. again, that was they they sort of allowed themselves to lapse, not lapse, but step back into the the, the rock area and one foot out of the disco again. And uh, I'll pause to record this because there's someone at the door. Bear with me. Okay, so so continuing like you know the the dance theme that's just going to run through this, except for one or two, is "Let the Music Play" by Shannon. Now this is really interesting because so this song came out and there were it, so I was dating this girl at the time, and this was like our song, and it, you would hear it everywhere, and you would hear bits and pieces of it throughout the night. You'd hear the whole song two or three times. This is early in, in 84. And so just like I was talking about the DJ crescendo and there would be songs where you would just feel like, you know, okay, you know, my legs have loosened up. I mean, you're 18 or 20 at this point. Um, you're, you know, you're in pretty good shape. 
but dancing for six hours you can get you know no matter how you're fueled um no matter how much alcohol is in your body loosening you up you know there's some moments that are good and, and anyway so we would dance to this song and it's it actually crawled up the charts which really surprised me and this this was always like i'd like to stay off the charts at the time right i didn't want the songs that I loved, that I, you know, emoted with, that I bonded to being shared with other people that much. And so when it started going up the charts, we, we got a little, a little sad, but that song, and I still listen to it. I have a dance party mix that my wife and I dance to, and it, this is on that song, on that list. And it's just such a great song and it mixed it was so easy to mix and blend in and out with other songs. You, you could just hear that, like, as I say, all the time. And it would be like a peak moment within the night. And yeah. that would just, to this day, I mean, I, I look back on the times that we danced to, to this and just, you know, bright smiles, everybody, you know, and it would get a lot of people out on the dance floor. It was very danceable, very approachable. And then, of course, it became a pop hit, and you stopped hearing it. But anyway, <laughs> yeah, it was brilliant, that, absolutely brilliant. Yeah. And and once they became pop hits, that that was the problem. Like say with Run DMC, also, and you know that they're going to be coming up soon. Once it became a pop hit, you didn't hear it. You would hear mixes of it, but you wouldn't hear the song. You'd still hear a mix, right, a sample of the song, but you wouldn't hear the full song anymore because there'd be something else that was coming up. Yeah, true, true. Okay, good, good. All right. Um, my next one is shout to the top, Star Cancer. Oh. So, <laughs> so I was massively into Paul Weller around this period. Yeah. Through school, through through school, the Jam. I saw the Jam before they split up in '82, and 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 I was so on message with the Star Council. It was absolutely you know, perfect. And, you know, I'd, I'd wander around with a rainbow umbrella and a stripy jumper and, you know, all sorts of, you know, affectations and, you know, desperate to find somewhere that would serve cappuccino. <laughs> you know, and, um, but anyway, um, I loved Cafe Blue. The album came out at the beginning of the year and that was amazing because there was jazz in there. There were some beats in there, although a little bit you know, saccharine. Um, but they got the idea. And, um, you know, I like, I, I loved all that. And I was very influenced by that. In fact, to the extent that, and, and, and I felt a bit let down in, in a sense later on, because um, he, he very publicly said, oh, no, that's it. I'm quitting drinking. I'm, you know, straight edge sort of thing. And I thought, right, that's me. So, so I quit drinking at 17. And then I went, when I went to college in September, I was, I was not, not drinking. And everyone was thinking, oh, he's a bit of a straight, this lad, you know. And that lasted until Christmas party at some rugby club in December where I got my drink spiked with vodka and just got absolutely, you know. And then I found out afterwards <laughs> that, uh, you know, he was just saying stuff. And um, and I thought, you know, and then because then they went and recorded Band-Aid and he was part of that. And you find out years later that, you know, status quo took a big bag of cocaine and they're all there and you kind of think oh i've been done here you know because it, it was me being really straight edge and pure and i've given up drinking for six months and then and he's just taking the piss 
Um, but another, nonetheless, the music was brilliant, and this song I think is really good. I could have picked any of them really from the Star Council. Yeah, I went, I went, I went to see Rolling Blackout's Coastal Fever, who are a great band. If you've not picked them up yet, uh, Australian, and I saw them a couple of years ago at Coco in London before it burnt down. They just don't get it. And uh, they came on stage to this to shout to the instrumental mix of shouts at the top, which I thought was cool as anything. You know, a really cool the, thing to do. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so the, yeah, so that's that one. That that I, so great, and they were on my list of bands that I would have had on my list, right? Yeah. <laughs> so, but yeah. but I what I really like about that is the connection, the connecting between you know people who really love music. And the artist, yeah. and you know the the straight edge and the dress and d taking on you know sort of the lifestyle, and <laughs> I hope that that even though I don't necessarily connect with any of the young artists today, but I hope that there are ki still kids taking on the affectations of their you know, their, their stars, the, 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 the bands or the leaders that they adore. And by the way, Paul Weller is a damn good one to follow. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. the jam was one of my favorite bands and the style council. What was the name of that album is something other blue or, uh, Cafe Blue. Uh, it came out, it came out in 84 Cafe Blue. Yeah. Cafe Blue. Yes. That, that yeah, was yeah. amazing. And they, they had a, they had a single during that. So then, um, so I have to do Sucker MCs, and okay. this was a run, run DMC. So this was their very first song, and they played. So they came from Queens, and they came and they played a small set on the fourth floor of Danceteria. And what I mean by a small set is that it's about the size of, you know, my living room. And mm -hmm. they played that, and... I was there with, I think, one other friend. I tended to go out alone because, like I said, I couldn't get a lot of friends downtown until songs like this hit. And it was just amazing. It was, like, so kinetic. And the, the lyrics and the rap and the delivery, especially DMC's delivery, was just, like, so percussive. And so it was like, boom, boom, boom. And like, I, I remember that looking, looking around at that show and, you know, my eyes wide and, and just, you know, just completely blown away. And that came out and I, I think it was Rockbox was on the B side, um, but Sucker MCs and it took over. And one of the things that I think is really interesting was that before 1984, I was hearing a lot of the songs coming out of the bodegas on the street or out of the boom boxes. And that was where I first hear them that year, because I'd finally gotten plugged into the live, you know, and into the DJs, I was starting to hear it in the clubs or live. Mm -hmm. And I think the first time I ever heard the song was live. And then two weeks later, it is in every taxi in every bodega on every boom box. And I think it went from, you know, just, just from zero to everywhere very quickly. And it's still, and it was just mixed. That beat was just mixed all the time, sampled all the time. And 
I think I look at that song and I'm just like, that was a brilliant release. And it was their first album. Mm. And there was one other song on that album, but Rockbox was also another song. <laughs> I, I connected with Rockbox for many a time, but one specific time just hanging on a, on a, a, a bar wall while it was playing and just be probably a little overserved at the time is what they call it. And listening to it and being very impacted. But Sucker MCs was just a great dance song. Yeah, great choice, great choice. Now, I, I, I've, had, I've had two in this next plot, and we've, covered, we've touched on one already. So, uh, so it was going to be Small Town Boy, uh, Bronski Beat, which was amazing and right on, amazing. on the sort of age. Yeah, but I'm going to flip that since we've covered it for Keep On Keeping On by the Redskins. And uh, this was, you know, really high impact, blue-eyed soul, fast, punky, skinhead, left wing, minor strike, 1984, anti-Thatcher, politicized, proper music. It was brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. I saw them a few uh, times, yep. once or twice with Billy Bragg. And, uh, and, and I, th- I just think they, they, were, they were magnificent. There was that and a few other tracks. They did a couple of versions of this. Uh, and they had a few other tracks on the album that were brilliant. And they just, they just appeared and disappeared. The, the, the main guy, the guy called Christine, went, wrote for the enemy under the name of X Moore. I don't know if you ever remember reading his column, X Moore, X Moore. But he was called Christine and he led the Redskins. And then he just disappeared, fell, fell off the face of the earth. No, nobody knows where he is. Some say Italy, but nobody knows. He has disappeared. Uh, but he was highly influential at the time and um, quite straight edge in many ways but and, and pretty serious stuff. But uh, this was an amazing, upbeat, pop, fantastic punk. Yeah, I remember that song. That, that, that got a yeah. lot of play. Absolutely. Yeah. And I didn't know the backstory on this at all. Yeah, yeah. But that definitely yeah. came, came across. Yeah. Uh, so uh, the next is Set It Off by Strafe. And this, it had this really, and it's funny because um, a very uh, interesting beat to it and almost um, sounded a little like what, what Trap, which came out of Atlanta, but very trancy, almost beat in the back. And that, so that came out and I remember like hearing it for the first time, first time and it was like, this is a little different. And it didn't mix, you know, you would, you would hear it sampled all the time but it was tough to blend it with other songs. So the DJs, you know, and you would hear it and you would tell that there was like, hmm, you know, th- this one isn't going to flow. The beat isn't going to be the same. You're going to have to slow down the previous one. And it was a almost, you know, I mean, it, it, so there became trip hop and it was a little early trip hop, right? There, there, that sound and then these are the, ty- the types of songs. So I would listen to a lot of these songs at home, but mostly I would listen to them before going out. Like I wouldn't wake up on Sunday morning and listen to Sucker MCs necessarily, but Set It Off by Strafe, I would listen to anytime. It was just such a great song. And it turns out upon research, it was actually quite influential. So that, and, and I look forward to, to you know, hearing more about this song now that i've spent the past week sort of doing this research i'm really inspired to go find out more and did it really lead to trip hop but that yeah, that's where i would trace it to. that's a good because way ahead of it if it did you know that was good yeah yeah yeah, yeah absolutely yeah. 
Um, okay, so I've gone so mainstream for a reason on this next one. Um, <laughs> we've, talk, we've talked about two tribes and we talked about relax, and they were massive. And relax in, in particularly was like mind-blowingly good. A bit, you know, a bit of a, a similar feel to the impact on you, like your born slippy experience later. You know what I mean? That yep. sort of very extended and kind of weird and bit weird repetitive thing. So so that was that was a bit controversial. But I've gone for the power of love. This this overblown ball, string ballad that got into the charts at Christmas uh, of that year. Because I remember it at college and it was what they played at all the parties and when people were spiking my orange juice with vodka and da 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 da, da. I remember all that. <laughs> but at the time, me and my friends at college were really, really into the label, Rang Tum Tum, and it was Paul Morley, who's the, who's the biographer of Tony Wilson, very close to the factory. And a lot of the sort of factory record uh, sort of principles he put into play at this ZTT uh, label, which really was the home of propaganda and Frankie Goes to Hollywood. So, so it was part of that as when you get all these extended remixes and cassette singles. And, and I loved all the paraphernalia that went with it. But actually, I think the song, the production is just so rich and luscious, a bit ABC-ish as well. Uh, but anyway, right. that's what I've gone for there. When it, we, we're still going to time out, aren't we? I've got one left to do. Go on, are you on your lap? Yep. So, so, so and mine's not going to take five minutes, but it's Five Minutes of Funk by Houdini. And yeah. it is so they were sort of a little bit of a flash in the pan i think that they had a couple other songs but houdini yeah. was amazing live yeah. and the the beat on this song was just really fun to dance to and yeah. it also wraps up what you know was a pure dance playlist out of this year and even though every single one of these songs would be played at the clubs, these last two, Five Minutes of Funk and Set It Off, were ones that I, I love listening to at home. Because this yeah. one just had a fantastic set of lyrics to it. The rap was just brilliant. So yeah. Houdini and, I mean, you know, there's so many others. But go ahead. Yes, we, we're both going to. We're going to time out. Just quick. So Houdini, I remember Magic Swan was one of their songs and, and, and they featured on those examples, those like street sound things. Houdini were on those kind of compilations featured quite a bit. They were breaking yep. in that way in the UK. Uh, my last one, Killing Joe, 80s. <laughs> oh, I miss them. Fantastic. <laughs> so we listened to that all the time at college and, and this was after youth had left. So the funkiness kind of, if they had any at that time, had gone. And they've got this guy, Geordie, who's passed away now, but he was in on bass. And, uh, but there was still, you know, I went to see him around that time. And, and, uh, and 80s, of course, was the song that um, they sued Nirvana on, you know, Come As You Are, the bass line for Come As You Are. Nirvana right. lifted from 80s, um, uh, Killing Joke. And, and uh, there was a case, a court case around. So, so they were fantastic. And they would be mixed in at the rock dance clubs. For sure. Yeah. I saw them. They were a great band. I did not yeah. catch them in, in my research. Hey, yeah. fantastic. <laughs> We've got to pick another this. year soon. I wonder where we're going next. Let's think about it. I, I, we got to go into the 2000s. Yeah, okay. Yeah, and yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think we got, I think we got to cover. Go back and forth. You know, one, back and forth. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So 2006, 2000, 2008. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I mean, we'll find something. 
<laughs> Brilliant. That's been great again. You great get to choose the next one. Yeah. Thanks. Bye-bye. Yeah, no, See you later. Bye.